Right, you guys get a lot of snow out here, eh? Huh? Yeah, okay. And uh, you grow your potholes big out here, too. I, I drove out here in a little echo and lost it in one of the potholes when I was driving around the Maritimes here. So, uh, But it's good we made it. And I uh, had to call down here, actually, this morning. My car was buried. I had a couple of guys come up at 7 o'clock with a little shovel to try and get around my kit. They didn't even, they didn't even brush my windshield off. Can you imagine that? And, uh, but I uh, called down here. They got uh, Mr. Karen to come up and plow me out, so I made it down. So it's good to, good to be here with you again this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more about encouragement. And yesterday we said that that little word encouragement is found often in the New Testament. Uh, the noun form, parakletos, uh, is used of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. comes from that compound verb, para, meaning beside or alongside, and kaleo, to call. And so when used of a person, it really speaks of one who is called alongside another during a time of difficulty or duress in order to provide strength or encouragement that they might endure and go on uh, in the journey of the Christian life. And remember, we talked about this word encouragement. It's used, uh, translated in the King James Version many times in the New Testament by our word comfort, and it is usually found in the context of suffering. And so uh, we remember we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that uh, God allows trials to come into our life in order that we might experience his comfort so that we in turn, when somebody else is suffering, may come alongside them and provide the same kind of comfort that God provided us during that time. So uh, when, we, when you and I um, exercise encouragement in the lives of other people, we're really participating with God in his work. Now we said that this word is found, uh, if we were to look at all of the verses where this word encouragement is found, we said we could put all of those verses under three main headings in the New Testament. And so what I want to do, I'm going to give you this morning those three main headings, and I want you to just think in your own mind what one of these headings you think most of the verses in the New Testament are found under. Now, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, because the first source or the first heading we want to talk about is the encouragement of the Savior. The encouragement of the Savior. Now, uh, the verses verses we want to look at are the first two verses. You can follow along in your own Bible. Um, And uh, this is being read, by the way, from the ESV, so you may have it a little bit different in your Bible. But uh, notice it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, we know that Paul in in, uh, Philippians chapter 2 is using Christ as the model of humility. In fact, in verse 5, he'll go on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Literally, let the same attitude be modeled in your life that was modeled in the life of the Lord Jesus. And he goes on uh, down those verses, verses 5 through 8, to talk about the condescension of Jesus. Jesus Christ and his self-humiliation. We call that the kenosis of the New Testament, the self-emptying or the self-humiliation of Christ as he came from the glories of heaven and condescended to where we were in order that he might supply all that was necessary in order to satisfy the just and righteous demands of God on our behalf. Now, notice here that that little word if up there, by the way, introduces what is known as a first-class conditional clause in the New Testament. 
And that little, that, that first class conditional is always used to substantiate a fact as being absolutely true. In other words, there is no dispute about what is being said at all. It can't be argued. Now, so in other words, you could, you could really substitute that word so if with the word since. Okay, and some translations do that. So you could read it this way, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love. And so this is an absolute. Now, you could also read it this way. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, parentheses, and there is, okay, that's the way, we, that, that's the way it could be read as well. So it's a statement of affirmation. And so we could read it this way, since there is encouragement in Christ, or we could read it, if there is encouragement in Christ, and there is. So we're going to get you to participate, okay? I am going to read the statement, and you're going to respond with, and there is. Now, what I don't want you to do is do this, and there is, okay? Because that is not convincing, okay? The and there is, is really an affirmation that you're convinced of, right? So we want to, I know it's early and it's a snow day, snowy day and that kind of stuff, but uh, we want you to really, really say that like you mean it, okay? So here we go, okay? We're going to try a test run here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is. Oh, I think you can still do better than that. I heard somebody down here say, and there is, okay? Okay, we don't want to do that. Okay, here we go. Okay, second run through. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is. Awesome. If there is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, uh, any affection and sympathy, right on. Okay, so you got it. So that's really the way we want to read that. It's, It's an affirmation. And if we had time this morning, we could spend it really giving testimony to the encouragement that you and I have received in Christ. Now, the greatest encouragement that we've received is the day when Christ, by his grace, redeemed us. We were encouraged. Why? Because sin... Sin marked our life. It brought us under the condemnation and judgment of God. And if it had not been for the grace of God, you and I would have never had any hope. And so we know the greatest encouragement we've received in Christ is through his salvation. But how many of you throughout your Christian life have blown it one time or another? Okay. Aren't you glad that, that, that Jesus didn't give up on you, right? He's your greatest encourager. Although his desire is that you not sin, he has already provided uh, the necessary uh, remedy when we do, right? So our desire is not to sin, but when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so when you and I falter, Jesus is there at the right hand of God as our advocate, defending our case before the Father when the accuser of the brethren would bring accusation before God about us. And so he is our great encourager. And so uh, we have this idea here then about encouragement, the encouragement that comes from the Savior. Now I want you to watch this. And uh, what I want you to do this morning is I want you to forget uh, that we're kind of in this formal chapel setting, and I want you to allow the Spirit of God just to minister to your heart. And uh, we're going we're gonna to weave some video and some music in this. And so if you feel like singing along, you go right ahead. Encouragement of the Savior. Let's watch.
I think one of the most profound examples of grace and encouragement in the New Testament is found in John chapter 8 when the Bible tells us, John under inspiration of the Holy Spirit says that the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and the text is, is accurate. She had been caught in the very act and what, as would have been uh, customary in that day, they would have brought her into the synagogue and really thrown her on the ground and stood over her in condemnation. Uh, as, as, a, as really a message of judgment upon her because of her sin. And to remember, Jesus was there, and they brought her uh, to him in an attempt to snare him, and they said, the law commands that she should be stoned. What do you say? And uh, Jesus is in a jam because how can he claim to be one full of grace if he commands her to be stoned, and yet if he says, let her go, he's violated the law, himself being a personification of the law. And so he doesn't say anything, but he stoops on the ground, and he begins to write. Now, as often as I've heard this preached, everybody tries to figure out what Jesus wrote. Now, I want you to think for a minute. If that was really the emphasis that John wanted to make in that text, do you think perhaps that God would have told us what he wrote? But the reality is we're not told. Now, I have a hunch what he may have wrote and we can only use, do this as a supposition. We're not, we're not saying this is absolute here. I'm only speculating what he may have wrote. We know that the law of God in the Old Testament was said it was written by the finger of God. So we know that as Jesus used his finger to doodle in the sand, he was likely writing something about the law. It could have been that... Because we know in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we know that if anybody would, were to bring somebody who, in violation of the law, there couldn't be any malicious intent. And we know that there was on the part of the accusers. He could also have been writing that uh, not only the adulteress, but the adulterer was to be brought. Where was the man in this instant? But I don't think that that's the emphasis that is being made in that text. And I'm going to show you from the text why I think that is. When Jesus stooped on the ground, on whose level was he now? There's the point. That's exactly what we're to get out of that text. Why? Because when Jesus stooped, he was now identifying with the woman as one who was condemned. Do you remember when Jesus healed the leper? The Bible says a leper came to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be thou clean. And he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched the leper and said, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now listen, that touch by Jesus was a touch of compassion, but it was more than that. Because we know if you were to touch a leper, you yourself became leprous. You yourself uh, became one who was unclean. And so when Jesus touched the leper, he identified with that leper. And we know in the Old Testament that leprosy is used as a picture of sin. And so here Jesus is now. He's stooping down. He's on the level of this woman. It's a perfect picture of Philippians chapter 2, the text we just read. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, his very essence, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, literally did not think deity something that needed to be grasped. Why? Because he was God himself. 
But he laid aside his reputation. He became one of, the Bible says there, no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Now don't miss these words, even the death of the cross. Those little words, even the death of the cross, gives to us the extent to which God was willing to go in order to provide your redemption and mine. Because to die on a tree was the epitome of a curse. It literally, the Old Testament said, cursed is the man who hangeth on a tree. So we know that Christ was willing to be cursed by God in order that we might receive forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. Now, you remember that after Jesus had done that, he stood up and he said, okay, you who are without sin, let that one cast the first stone. And you remember they all began to leave from the eldest to the youngest, and he's left with her alone. And he picks her up, lifts her up, and he says this, woman, where are your accusers? Now, woman was probably the nicest word she had heard in a long time. That was a that was, a, uh, that was a term of respect. And uh, do you remember, remember what she said? Woman, where are your accusers? She said this, there are none, Lord. Now let me ask you a question. In whose presence should she have felt the most condemnation? In the presence of the only one who remained. Now listen very carefully. Do you remember they all began to depart and he is left there? Why is he there? Because he is the only one righteous enough to be able to take the stone in fulfillment of the law of God and stone her. And yet he says this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now the only reason Jesus could say that was because he himself had the power to forgive sin. I love what John says, that when the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that wasn't grace absent of truth, nor was it truth absent of grace. It was grace and truth in perfect balance. He being the God-man held all of the attributes of God in perfect balance. And so he came and yet John, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, chooses the attributes of grace and truth. Could he not have said accurately, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of righteousness and holiness. Absolutely. But he chooses grace and truth. Why? Because that's what sinners need. And he puts it in that order for a reason. Grace and truth. What's man need? Grace. Grace. Grace is always willing to go the extra mile for the sinner. And that's what God did. And he's full of grace and truth. And the world did not need condemnation. Why? Because Romans 3 tells us God had already declared the world guilty before God. And therefore what the world needed was grace. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. I love it. I love it. You see, that's the encouragement of the Savior. That's the encouragement that you and I get from him. That he was willing, my friend, when what we deserved was condemnation, when what we deserved is eternal hell, Jesus Christ willingly, it was not that he was forced to do this. 
He made himself in the middle voice. It is action done by oneself, to oneself. It was willing submission. And he was willing to go all that way for you and I. Oh, my friend, when we understand that, can we not be a channel of encouragement to others who need it? We have been the recipients of God's marvelous grace. And now we're called to be the dispensers of that grace. And by the way, encouragement is going to most, uh, most, be most shown in its re- reality when the person to whom I show it does not really deserve it. And so we see encouragement. Secondly, we see the encouragement of the scriptures. Turn with me to Romans 15, please. Romans 15, we have this, the encouragement then of the scriptures. And Romans 15, 4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Literally, for our instruction, it it's, it's, it's gives the idea of formal instruction. It was written for our instruction so that through endurance, taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, notice this. Why do we have the scriptures? We have the scriptures so that we can receive instruction. They teach us things. They teach us about others who have gone on and run the Christian life, like Hebrews chapter 11, and they've endured, and they've gone on to receive their eternal reward. And so we learn from them that the same God who enabled them to endure is the same God that will enable you and I to endure as well as Christians in the race of the Christian life. And so we discover that through the, through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. So it's in the scriptures we find the promises of God, don't we? All of the promises of God are in the scriptures. And in fact, Paul wrote this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of the Lord. What's that mean? That means that the promises of God have been recorded in the word of God, and they are as good as accomplished. Why? Because they are dependent upon God's very character and nature. Even when you and I are not faithful, God remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. And my friend, every time God says, I will in scripture, he binds himself to that promise because of his character, because of who he is. And it is not dependent on you and I. Listen very carefully. When God saved you, he knew that you would not do this thing perfectly. And yet he chose to save you anyways. And he bound you to himself. You and I are in Christ. And that's the reality of it. And so why are the promises there for you and I to claim? That's why they're there. And they are as good as accomplished. And so we can affirmatively declare, let it be so. That's what the word amin means in the original. Let it be so. And we can, we can rest upon those promises. We can stand upon those promises. They are as sure as accomplished in our lives. Remember Abraham, God gave the promise, didn't he? At 75 years of age that he would have a son uh, in his old age. And uh, 25 years had passed. 
And God finally comes to Abraham, who's very concerned about his, his posterity. And God says, Abraham, I want you to know, I am the Almighty God. I am the El Shaddai. I am the one, Abraham, who has bound myself to the promise, and it will occur. You will have a child in your old age. And we remember the story as, and, and Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 through 25 is a commentary on that event. Abraham, who was strong in faith, did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strong in faith, being convinced of this, that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And so God has promised, uh, made promises to you in the word of God, and they're as good as accomplished, and you and I can give an affirmative amen to that. You and I can give an affirmative, so let it be. Why? Because we're confident that those promises will come to be. Now listen, they'll come to be in God's time. They don't come in our time. But I found this out uh, in walking with the Lord now for 35 years, that you know what? God's time is better than my time, right? That God's time is always right. God always shows up on time. Sometimes we think we may need it now. And God says, not now, a little later. And so we need to trust that the promises of God will be fulfilled in God's time. Enjoy. Lights if you want.
You and I can stand on the promises of God, can't we? And we're, we're thankful we can. Uh, when everything else around us, Paul, uh, the, the psalmist would write this, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When all around him was, was failing, he said, I want you to lead me to the only place that I can place my feet on a firm foundation, and that is the Lord. Now, encouragement of the saints. Now, how many of you think that most of the verses are found under the encouragement of the Savior? How many of you think that? Some of you aren't going to raise your hand for anything. Okay. Uh, how much under the scriptures? Okay. How many of you think it's under this heading? Oh, yeah. Okay. The majority think so, and you're right, because most of the verses on encouragement are found under the heading of the encouragement of the Savior. In fact, um, you'll notice here, Paul says his desire in coming to Rome was that he might be encouraged together with them while among them. Colossians chapter 4.11, the apostle Paul writes to those fellow workers who proved to be an encouragement to me, and we are exhorted to assemble together often as believers for the purpose of encouraging one another. Do you realize that one of the reasons God has brought the church into being was that it might become a, 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 a means of encouragement after you and I have done battle with the world and the enemy, we are able to come in together amongst other saints and be encouraged together and edified and strengthened as we go in the journey of the Christian life. Now, here's what we want to talk about. We're going to say, okay, if encouragement, now, you know, we need sometimes we need encouragement with skin on, don't we? That's right. We know that the ultimate source is God. We know that. But God has given us the responsibility of being vessels of encouragement to one another. So how do I establish that in my life? Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about that from the life of Barnabas. And I want to give you five principles that come out of Barnabas's life about encouragement. How do I establish an encouraging spirit in my life as a believer? You remember, we know what God wants us to do. We have the Holy Spirit who enables us to do it, but the problem is that old, that new nature is still incarcerated in unredeemed flesh, right? So we got to be real intentional about this thing because we still have this, this propensity to be self-centered, concerned only about ourselves, and so we've got to really establish this. We've got to really become intentional about this. So how do I do that? Well, we're going to learn from a man who became known as a son of encouragement, His life modeled encouragement, and so we're going to learn from his example uh, over the next few days. Okay? Father, thank you this morning again for your word. Uh, We are are just thrilled that you would choose to use us in participation with yourself in um, this responsibility of encouragement. And Lord, I want to pray as we would as we would recognize that, yes, we have encouragement in the Savior. Yes, we have the scriptures that provide a continuous source of encouragement. But uh, you have commanded us to be sons of encouragement, men and women who come alongside others and breathe into their life strength and courage, particularly during times of difficulty. And so, Lord, we want to have that established in our life. So, Lord, we pray that as we come the next few days, that we would, this would not just be an academic exercise. Lord, if we're just doing that, we're wasting our time. Um, we really want to see these principles established in our life, that we might become the people of God you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.